0: Standby for the Terry Saul Show. Five, roll tape. Four, cue Terry. Three, bring audio up. Two, stand by. One, play intro.
1: Stay tuned for the Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 FM and 1220 AM KSLM. Today's show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, featuring Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, and Teresa Lule's State Farm Insurance.
2: Well, good morning, and welcome to the Terry Saul Weekend Show on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 FM, 1220 AM. We are KSLM. So glad that you joined us today. Today's special guest is a gentleman by the name of Jim Jenkins. And good morning, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks good. for having me. Well, thank you for coming down here. And we are, we are approaching 9-11, mm-hmm. um, the anniversary, 20th year anniversary. And you were actually there, weren't you? I was. I was in there uh,
0: as a... Navy Reserve Chaplain. That's the capacity I was in when I went back there.
2: Okay. Um, let me. Before we get into that, tell me a little bit about yourself.
0: Well, um, I grew up in Ohio, Youngstown, Ohio. I've been a pastor for 40 years. 20 of those years, I was a Reserve Chaplain in the Navy. And for a decade or so, I taught uh, Bible college and seminary coursework.
2: Okay. And where are you currently living?
0: We live in Monmouth right now, Monmouth, Oregon. We tried to literally pick a spot on the map between our two kids and their grandkids so
2: yeah yeah grandkids are unbelievable aren't they they make the sun come up i'm telling you i've got i've got two right now and one is uh, two years old the other one is Four, and they've got grandpa just wrapped right around their finger and my, my little four-year-old should come walk in and she love you grandpa and it's like okay what do you want let's go get an ice cream get in the car we're off <laughs> my son my son told me the other day he says dad you spoil my kids more than you ever spoiled me and I go well you got to understand I like your kids <laughs> and I was like thanks dad all right so how did how did you get into being were, were you back there on 9-11 no, I was in Oregon here,
0: and at the time, I was the reserve chaplain for the Coast Guard. All the boat stations, up the motor uh, lifeboat rescue stations, and then the air stations on the Oregon coast, I was sort of their reserve chaplain.
2: Okay, so so where were you that morning on
0: nine eleven? Where were you? I was at the church where I served in Cottage Grove. I was at home, okay. and six o'clock in the morning, somebody from the church called, just said, "Turn your TV on," like so many people around the world.
2: All right. And so
0: that was my first exposure to it. And um, I don't know how else to put this, but just say it. Somehow I knew by the end of that day, I knew I was going to go there. Really? And so I started doing some things in my head. You know, what is my will up to date? Am I now activated to active duty? Uh, What do I need to do to, you know, keep the church running? What about my wife, my kids? So those things were on my mind that first day, but mostly it was the gripping stuff we all saw.
2: Did you did you find yourself? I know I, I was working across town at KBZY at the time, and my boss called me that morning and said, "How do I get the satellite on the air all the time?" And I, I talked him through that, and I go, "What's going on?" He goes, We're "Under attack." And I go, "The radio station is. I mean, who who's under attack?" Mm-hmm. He was turned on your TV, and that's when I turned it on and and saw, you know, that the tower come down, and I thought, "Oh my God, what's going on here?" Yeah. Um, and I know that we we stayed on the air. Uh, on the network 24 hours a day for the next couple of days um, we just turned on the network and let it just run because it was just it was unbelievable um you you said though that you knew that you were going back there mm-hmm. why did why did you think that
0: well for one thing i'm a christian minister and i can say that i really do feel the lord prompts you about certain things and i was already thinking and I, I can't explain this any other way than to say that I was already beginning to think if I was there right now what on earth would I say to the people that I'd be dealing with the first responders, the family members so I was already in the back of my mind starting to think about that and then uh, that first night um, I think I mentioned this to you when we first met on the phone the other day I said the really good broadcasters especially the sports guys, they know when to stop talking and just on TV anyway, show like the walk-off home run in the series. They, they don't talk over it. They let the right. crowd. Well, the announcers that night, whatever network I was watching, did that. At the end of the night, before I finally put my head on the pillow, they showed an aerial shot of all the news helicopters that were circling, taking shots down into the pile. And uh, I heard this sound. It sounded like uh, your smoke alarm when the battery dies.
2: A chirping sound? And
0: Chir- chirping sound, okay. and like crickets at night. And I that my first thought was, what is that sound? And it took me two days to learn what that was. Every firefighter in their turnout gear wears a thing called a pass alarm. And it's designed to go off and chirp like that when they're trapped. Or when they go down. When they go down, they're not moving around, and when their oxygen's being used. What I was hearing that first night, what we were all hearing, didn't know it yet. Were the chirping sounds of 300 or so firefighters that were buried in that rubble
2: my, my son is a firefighter and did, and he did not know that he, yeah he <clears throat> excuse me he told me he's, he's now a paramedic back then he was a firefighter and he told me the same thing he says what you're hearing is firefighters down Yeah. and i says well ryan get to them get them up and he goes believe me they're trying dad they're trying um so when you put your head down on the pillow that night um and you say good night to your 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 bride did you did you tell her i'm going i've got to go back there
0: no i didn't say anything to anybody for a couple of days because first of all everything that pops into my head isn't god talking to me <laughs> you know I, i've learned to weigh things over time and if it's the lord it'll be confirmed and so in my instance i started through my chain of command first the district 13 of the coast guard
2: then you know, my chaplain boss. What did you boss, say to them? What did you say them? you called them up and, and what do you say to them? Hey, I'm available. Or is every what can I do? Yeah. What did you say to them? Kind of all of the above.
0: I basically said, uh, I don't. I don't know what we're doing. I know we're doing something right now. I, Anything I can do, I want. I want to do that. And within a couple of days, I heard from the chief of chaplains' office in in uh, Washington. And yes, indeed, they were standing up teams of chaplains to come on a rotational basis, and I had orders to go.
2: Okay, were, were the planes back in the air at that point? Because I remember President Bush, he grounded everybody. Yeah. And so at that point, were they back up in the air for you? or Some. Okay. V- for instance, that's when
0: the whole odyssey for me started was the flight out there. Mm-hmm. It was the United Airlines flight. And it was, I think I'd call it a 737. I don't know if that's what they called them then, but there were probably 15 people on the whole plane were you so nervous people, were you nervous i wasn't so much nervous as i was aware of the other people they were you could see it in their eyes everybody was anxious what's what's happening here is just safe but i remembered one of the planes that was involved in the whole incident was the united flight yeah. so i really was able to take a long time with the flight attendants and talk to them and hopefully minister to them and pray with them i did get a chance to pray with them and so did, even did before, they know who you
2: were? Did they? Know? Yeah,
0: I I told them why I, where I was going, and and then they told me they knew people. Later, I would meet some of them. Some of their colleagues were the ones that died. They had a special trip that they made as a unit to Ground Zero to see it, and I was on that ferry boat ride with them.
2: Okay, before we get to there, uh, it was it was a few days that went past between the time that it the towers came down in the time you got on an airplane Mm -hmm. what what were you doing during that few days how many days was it boy on that one i'm it's hard
0: to say i know that i i showed up there at day 12 i think i flew the 11th got there the
2: 12th okay so you had a good good week and a half right so what were you doing during that week and a half? Were you preparing yourself? Were you thinking, what am I doing? Um, my, I've got a, a wife here. I've got children here. I've got Ooh. grandchildren. At that point, was all that going through your mind? Were you thinking, no, I need to get over there and see what I can do?
0: Well, it was, and I had I got with my denominational uh, chain of command as well, let them know what was happening because they were going to have to have replacements for me while I was gone. Now, initially, it was going to be a 14-day thing, but nobody in uniform knew what was going to happen next. Were we at war? Was I not coming back for a long time? We didn't know. So I wanted, I checked with my attorney to make sure that my will was in place. Um, I went to get some protective gear they told us to take.
2: Be, did, did you, I don't mean to interrupt you, but did you feel that maybe, maybe you weren't going to come home? Yes. As far as did you not, really? Not,
0: not in the sense of, of being hurt there, but as... A reservist always, are, that's what you do, you stand by the, the phrase they use when the balloon goes up, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what I was getting ready for, thinking from there we might be deployed somewhere.
2: What did you tell your wife when you found out you were actually going to go?
0: Same thing. I just said, I, you know as much as I do, I'll keep you informed about everything, and just made arrangements to try to have a, a smooth transition for the church I was pastoring.
2: How, how many years had you been married at that point? Oh
0: my! Got me there. Uh, 2011, uh, 20 at least, uh, off the top okay. of my head. So you, so
2: you were you're married 20 years. Um, how tough was that to say goodbye to your wife as you're getting on this airplane going back to Ground Zero? What'd you say to her?
0: I'm I'm looking back, and I don't know that I can remember except to say I think that we both just understood this. We were in new territory, and I think that that I the promise to stay in touch with her was important, which I tried to honor. And uh, then the rest of it, we had a good net support net with the church. We had been at that one congregation for twenty years, so we there was a long-standing relationship in the community. So I wasn't so concerned about practical matters. But yeah, we I didn't know, and honestly, I. I'd have to ask her that question now. I came across because yeah. I don't, I blocked out seriously blocked out parts of this even to this day. So I,
2: why do you think you did that?
0: Well, I know with some of the the more traumatic stuff, I understand it because I I dealt with people with trauma over the years. Right. You do that; it's right. a survival thing. So you,
2: your wife drove you up. I'm assuming to the Portland airport. A friend from the church did. Okay, so your wife didn't didn't no. see you off. Was that by your design or just? the way it happened. Just the way it happened, I think. Okay. At some point you had to tell your children, what have you got, boys, girls, what do you got? A girl and a boy. Okay. And they're in their, how old are they at that point? Oh,
0: boy. Again, I'm guessing uh, my daughter might 20s, 30s? Oh, no, they were much younger. Okay. In 2001. Uh, right now they're both teachers, they're educators. So, so are they at home? Yeah, they, they would have been at home in, in elementary school and middle school.
2: Well, that's not going to be a fun conversation to have, is it?
0: Well, you know, the, the nice part was, again, everybody was talking about everything. So initially, at least, it was kind of this exciting thing, like, oh, dad's going to be part of this thing. And I, I didn't know enough to say anything more than that. I didn't want to alarm them.
2: Right, right.
0: And uh, I didn't know. And that was the other thing. I'll tell you one thing I did learn. To really not, if I didn't know something, not to
2: opine about it. Okay. Because that's when people get in trouble. Right, right. So at this point, you, you're, you're getting on an airplane uh, in Portland, and was, was it nonstop to?
0: Broke it up in Denver, I believe. Okay. and that Denver
2: was... and then to New York City. Okay. So uh, Denver's my old stomping ground, by the way. Ah. Um, so when you're on that plane and you're sitting there and you're just staring out at the window at these clouds and stuff, where you're thinking, what the heck am I doing? what yeah. am I doing my family is back there and I'm going up there what am I doing I, th- I think as much
0: as anything this is going to sound almost odd maybe but my big concern was that I do my job right okay and that I I I don't you know let it all get to me to where I'm ineffective okay so that was on my mind all right now how long of a tr- how long was it the layover in Denver I, again, I don't remember. It's been a good long while, but I do remember that uh, I kept thinking while we were flying, just looking out the plane, just just in case there was a fighter escort coming yeah. or something. It crossed my mind.
2: Did you ever see anything? Did, did no. you ever have?
0: Okay, so. But it, it was very eerie when I got to New York. The whole scene at the airport and okay. the heightened security. This was all brand new. There was sure. no TSA. There was no. And all of a sudden everybody's what's going on you know all right.
2: we're going to take a, a short break um our guest is jim jenkins uh he wrote a book he was a navy reserve chaplain for 21 years and a pastor for 40 years and he was back there he went back there to ground zero and uh, we're going to talk with him a little bit more today on our show you're listening to the terry Saul show brought to you today by the lulay corporation don lulay holmes Teresa Lule State Farm Insurance and Lule's Car Connection. More in just a moment. Stick around, we're just getting warmed up.
1: You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM, AM, and FM. Brought to you today by The Lule Group.
2: Hey, this is Terry Saul, Saltissimo. You know, when it comes time to move into a new home, it's time to consider Don Lule homes. The Lule difference is simply setting the bar for quality service in Salem. Find out today about custom-built new home. Don Lule Homes offers open floor plans, quality craftsmanship, and over 50 years of excellent experience in new construction. Beautiful homes are coming soon. Call today and ask for Erica at 503-428-6992. Don Lule Homes.
1: We're back in 5 4 Q Terry 2 1 you're on
2: welcome back to the Terry salt weekend show on Salem's original radio station 104.3 FM 1220 AM we are kslm our guest today is Jim Jenkins he is the author of a book called from rubble to redemption it's all about the ground zero you were there uh, you you actually you went back there about day 11 you said Jim mm-hmm. okay um, when we were last talking there you were saying that uh, you were on the airplane, United flight, and there was only about fifteen people on board. Were they all going back there for the same reason, or was it a special flight Do,
0: that you? No, went? no idea. Okay. Um, I'm assuming that anybody that was flying that early probably either had a business thing that they couldn't change, or it was related. If we were headed, especially the flight from Denver to New York, I'm guessing anybody headed to New York probably was involved in some kind of response to help. Okay, so you arrive in New York City, day or night? At night, and that's significant to me, I think. Why? Well, I rented a car at the airport and then drove to Battery Park is where we were to meet in Manhattan, right right there where it was. We stayed on Staten Island, so we had to take the ferry to get over, uh, the Verrazano Bridge, pardon me, to get to where we were gonna stay. There was a Coast Guard activity there that we were staying at. But when I got there at night, I I knew immediately that this is going to be a a really unusual circumstance because there were National Guard guys with their weapons at the ready in Battery Park patrolling. They ran a mirror under my rental car to check for bombs, checked my orders two or three times before I actually got to
2: go where I was going to go. Was was this... Strange. This is something we would never seen before. We never... I no, mean, not, not on not, American not soil. Not in America. No. We never saw this before. Did that intimidate you at all? Were you, uh, were you frightened when you saw that? I wouldn't say frightened, but I thought... You were aware.
0: I'm aware now that uh, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. This is yeah. a whole different thing. And this one guardsman came up to me. That on my uniform, I had the the shoulder epaulettes that had the cross on it, so he knew I was a chaplain. And he just came up to me. He was doing his job very professionally. But then he said, what are you hearing, Chopin? Do you know anything? Everybody needed information. Even at day 12, there were rumors all over the place. And he just wanted to know, you know, is there another bomb? Is there something else going on? Uh, I got that question a lot when I met people. Because okay. they assumed somehow I was going to know. I didn't.
2: All and- right. So you get there. You rent your car. You, you go across to where you're going to be housed, I guess. Mm-hmm um did you go to sleep that night were you able to sleep that night I am sure
0: I tried to I don't remember there's there's little pieces of this I just don't remember at all I don't remember what that place looked like I don't know if I had a roommate or whether I was in a room by myself I don't remember any of that really I was locked on to the next thing and the next thing was the next day to get all the numerous ID badges you needed to even be near there we had to go through all these security things then
2: where was that done at? right there at your, your...
0: Near Ground Zero somewhere, I, I don't okay. remember.
2: So you, you you get in your rental car and you start making your way towards Ground Zero? Or no, I, they...
0: the next day when I was, I didn't mean to interrupt you, we're on Staten Island at the place we were staying. We had a 12-passenger van that moved our chaplains for our whole assignment everywhere. Okay. We had a driver who was a Coast Guard reservist that was called active duty. He got us three hours a day at the pilot self. Okay. With the people that were at this point looking for bodies. They didn't expect to find anybody. Okay.
2: So when, when you got to ground zero, obviously you, you couldn't get right up there. You, you, they parked a distance away and you had to right. it? Okay. And there were security checkpoints everywhere. Really? Okay. What was, what was the one thing that just came out right off the bat like, oh my gosh, this, this can't be happening? Or was it the sight that you saw? Was it the smells you smelled? What, what is it that you saw? Or felt
0: well the smells already sounded uh, or smelled pardon me like a um, i used to be kind of the de facto chaplain to the cops and paramedics down in cottage grove i got to know a lot of them many of them came to the church right so i had gone to a couple of scenes where there was a fire and that smell of building materials that had burned the wet smell of ash and all that it was like that but the, the thing that I thought of, I, I kept thinking of something from Sherlock Holmes There's something from one of the Sherlock Holmes book where Holmes turns to Watson and he said, Watson, I detect the presence of an absence. And I just was aware there's a big hole in Manhattan. There's something that used to be there that isn't there anymore. So when we walked up to it, I did go weak in my knees for a second because I, didn't, I, I had no idea the scope of it. As far as your eye could see, it was rubble. It just was, it was still smoking. Periodically, there'd 11,
2: eleven days later. It was still smoking. Well, it,
0: it burned. Parts of it burned for months because it was a hundred and ten-story building right. that was underneath us. And they would hit air pockets, and every now and then, a flume of fire would shoot up. It, it, and then the smell. This, the smell was somewhere like a damp, musty, ashy. But then there, there were other smells, and I don't know, I don't know how much of that could have been human remains. I know I was aware. With my boots I was certainly aware that there might have been human remains on my boots
2: did they did they find any um, any people alive while you were there no and how long were you there uh, 12 days okay so what that first day you get there and you're and you're smelling the smell you're seeing the rubble what was your job what did you do that first day
0: well we got oriented first of all the chaplain the, there's a turnover when they the new guy comes in so we got the orientation, and I remember they, they told me, said told all of us, if you hear one long blast, shut up. Don't move. They might have found something. If you hear two long blasts, run, because that means some of these other buildings that have all been compromised were gonna come down, or the pile itself might collapse where we were. So that was our orientation. Then-
2: the, Did you ever hear any well, blasts?
0: Yeah, the, the first one numerous times. Then you would see them climb the pile with a little Stretcher. They would be a uh, some very few intact whole bodies, but they would wrap the remains in a flag. They'd come down the hill. Everybody would form up and salute. They'd put it in a hearse, take it to the medical examiner.
2: How did you hold yourself together?
0: Well, I would I would love to take credit and say that I I did something. I didn't. I don't think I did. I think I was helped to hold it together. Yeah. Because I really did feel like I had my game face on and I was able to do what I needed to do. All
2: right. We need to take a break. Our guest is uh, Jim Jenkins. from the. Uh, uh, he's the author of From Rubble to Redemption, uh, the story of 9-11. And uh, we're going to talk with Jim a little bit more when we come back. You're listening to Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 FM, 1220 AM. We are KSLM. More in just a moment. Stick around.
1: You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM, AM, and FM, brought to you today by the Lule Group. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM, AM, and FM brought to you today by the Lule Group.
2: Hey, this is Terry Saul, Saltesimo. Are you in the market for a new car? Well, if so, I encourage you to do what I do. Head down to Lule's Car Connection. Lule's has been selling quality vehicles for over 30 years. Lule's brokers any new vehicle selling within dealer invoice. Hey, check this out. Lule's has financing with most major lenders and credit unions. So do what I do. Stop by Lule's Car Connection, located at 2055 Mission Street in Salem, and tell them, Saltesimo sent you. Lule's Car Connection. We are back. This is the Terry Salt Weekend Show. Our guest is the author, James Jenkins. Well, actually, you're not really... A, you are an author, but yet you're, you're a Navy Reserve Chaplain. Right. As I am. Okay, we are talking about the fact that you went back uh, to uh, New York City during the 9-11. And you were on the site uh, your first day there. Um, finish, tell me some of the stories about that. Did, did, did you actually hear those, those, um, horns sound where you yeah. had to stop what you were doing? Yeah. How nerve wracking was that? Because you know that that means that they could be finding somebody. Yeah.
0: Well, what, what was really, uh, unique, I think was these sort of ad hoc rituals just developed. People started to do things and, and they would just form up and salute and show honor to, When they did find a body part they would bring it down the pile and if this particularly if it was a firefighter it would be wrapped in an american flag people would form up in ranks and salute when they brought it down from the pile and put it into the
2: earth how tough was that
0: well i'll tell you it gave me all the respect in the world i always did respect first responders but the people i met there were unbelievable i could take weeks to tell you stories about the people i met just magnificent
2: was it was it quiet when when you when you're all doing what you're doing at the ground zero, was it quiet or was there a lot of uh, yelling back and forth, telling people what to do, or what, what were you as,
0: as they were doing their work, it was loud. Okay. Big heavy equipment. Uh, they were bringing every day. I was there. They brought more big equipment and giant cranes, uh, grappling machines, excavators, bucket trucks. I don't even know what to call them all, but um, yeah, and the ground would move when when they moved these machines were so big and it was mushy underneath your boots because it was all this it was a little bit of everything it was burned right. materials right. it was probably some aerosolized jet fuel from the planes and i don't know were you were you concerned at all about what you were breathing not at the time but i certainly learned later um what did you learn well i have uh some scarring in my nasal passages um I have a precancerous condition in my esophagus because there were so many carcinogens in all that building material. Um, To be fair, I mean, I I was upset at the time, but to be fair, it was like this situation we're in right now in Afghanistan. It's chaotic, fog of war. People say all kinds of things. The EPA chief came down to Manhattan and made a very public announcement. The air is fine. Don't worry about it. But it wasn't. It wasn't fine. There are Mm. people... That I worked with probably are dead by cancer now. They screen me for it every year. Thank, thank the Lord, I don't, I haven't had that to deal yeah. with.
2: Did you Did you see any of the uh, any of the dignitaries? Uh, I know the president was there. Rudy Giuliani was there. Um, did you Did you happen to?
0: Yeah, uh, interestingly enough, in a two day period, it was a, kind of in the middle of it. They started taking family members. The city offered to do this for the families. Remember, they didn't have bodies to bury. They didn't have traditional funerals. I mean, they, they wouldn't have the wake. And, and many of these, these, these folks had strong beliefs that, I remember one lady from uh, her husband was with Cantor Fitzgerald. That one company lost 600 people that day. And she was looking for a rabbi. She said, please find me a rabbi because they have a ritual they wanted to do. But I know the ritual, and it involved like a lengthy funeral thing, and this was all going to be different. So the city did a a compassionate thing. They offered people to go 50 at a time, only if they wanted to. They had special passenger ferry for them, where 50 at a time, they went around uh, around Manhattan, got out at Wall Street, and walked to a staging area prepared just for them to see Ground Zero when people walked up to it some people screamed some vomited one lady i saw pull out clumps of her hair till her scalp bled. you can imagine that your loved one is in that that mess so so three hours a day we were the cha- the chaplain team was actually at the pile itself with the workers next three hours a day we were at the uh, morgue which is a whole 10 programs but then finally at, at with the families and it was when we were with the families that very first ferry boat ride the lady got up she was wonderful she was uh, a psychologist with nypd she said this is going to be very hard for you and we know it but you've asked to be here so in a moment we're going to take this ferry boat ride but i want to introduce you to some people so she introduced our team of chaplains some other mental health professionals professionals and then she said this she said, there's another group I want that's going to take this first ride with us. I want you to know they they came to New York on their own dime. I didn't know what this was. I said, what's going on? We all looked at each other. She said, I want you to just stand up. And all these people stood up, and she pointed to them. She said, every one of these people paid on their own dime to come and be with you because they're the only people in the world that could possibly relate with what you're experiencing right now. Every one of them lost a loved one at the Oklahoma City bombing. And they came here today to be with you. Wow! It was like a warm blanket descended on that room. And wow! How about
2: that? Amazing. Kind of brings a tear to your eyes. It,
0: it did. I tell you, it did. And but then that's the first time I I, I saw Giuliani at this point. He hmm. made that trip, first trip. Uh, there were security. I didn't see him. I mean, they had gunboats, you know, on either side of those passenger ferries, but. But he got on his knees with that 50 people, just knelt down to each one of them, looked up to him, heard their story, one after another after another. So when we got down there on that first trip, I had a guy standing next to me. I had my eye on him because he didn't look well. I thought he was going to have a heart attack. So we get down there, and Giuliani's explaining to people what they're looking at. The the whole pile's behind him. He's about as far away as you are from me. And he's saying, well, over here was Tower 1, and this guy next to me started getting agitated, and then he started yelling. Then he yelled at Giuliani. He said, this is all your fault. My son's dead. It's your fault. And he started to move toward the mayor, and then his knees buckled. I grabbed one arm. Giuliani grabbed the other, and he was just patting this man's chest, saying, I'm so sorry about your son. Wow. So on the way back on the boat, again, Giuliani's going around to everybody. He came over to me, and he just stared at my face for a minute, and he grabbed both my hands, and he said, Thank thank you for coming to be here with us. Something about that phrase stuck with me. So on another trip, there was a a guy, 50 more people. We did two or three of those a day, so 50, 50, 50, all day long. This one man, it was his son that died. And I really made a connection with him and prayed with him. His son was one of the tradespeople that actually full-time worked maintaining the Trade Center. So I got wind that there was going to be a, a ceremony at St. Patrick's Cathedral honoring those guys. I asked my chaplain, boss chaplain, Wilbur Douglas, amazing leader, said, sir, I think we ought to go to that. Somebody ought to go to that service. So he and I went. So I'm sitting way in the back, never been in St. Patrick's cavernous building. And you could hear them coming, the drums and the bagpipes. And they, they opened up those 40,000, I think it's 40,000 pound bronze doors And they came in with the banners and the cardinal and the procession. And all these people came in and I'm assuming family members were there. So during communion, I'm looking at Chaplain Douglas, the little tiny people in the front, thought how are they gonna serve communion to all these people? They were doing it, but the ushers were being very forceful, leading people. One guy pushed through the crowd. He started down our aisle, he came all the way back and then he got closer and got near where we were. I was on the aisle. He came up to me, it was that guy from the ferry came up and put his hands on my face he said i knew you'd come chaplain douglas is looking at me like so the last thing that happened was a day or so later with the family center celebrities like reggie jackson the baseball player show business people showed up just to come and be with people so one day i'm talking to a lady about a serious thing elton john came by and i don't know why i did it i just literally said hey And he turned around. I said, thanks for coming down here to be with these people. I know you're trying to help. He came over, put his hands on my face again, stared at me. I thought, what is this? And later, when I got back and had a lot of time to reflect on it and looked in the Bible, you see instances in the Bible when somebody behaves graciously to somebody. They actually describe it. It's like seeing the face of God, how you've treated me. Hmm. And so the face of God was very present in that pile of rubble, not not me, not just me, not merely me. Face of God was all over the place, ministering to people. Wow.
2: When you say um, you would you would spend three hours at the morgue, what are you doing there? With the forensic workers, they had a plywood. Doing wall. Doing what?
0: They were. They, they had a plywood wall where they hid refrigerator trucks, like a Safeway truck. With frozen parcels of human beings. The workers would go like a mash hospital. If you ever seen MASH, it looked like that. All right. Attached to the medical examiner's office. They would come and they were doing forensic exams to try to find out is it male or female, any identifying thing, DNA. I don't know how much DNA they did back then, but it was like we're trying to identify people. That's where the smell was so bad.
2: Out of your out of your twelve days that you spent there. Twelve days is that what you said? Yeah. What was the hardest thing for you to do? What was the most difficult thing for you to do that you... (sighs) Okay. It's
0: what I didn't do. Every instinct I had as a local pastor, if something horrible like this happened, I would be with that family for days. I had to hear the story, pray with somebody for a moment, and go on to the next person. And the next person in the next fifteen. And that weeks. was
2: something that you you weren't accustomed to doing that. It was totally Against, counterintuitive to what I, I thought I should do
0: as a pastor, but right. that wasn't my role. My role was to facilitate as much as I could in the moment. And I had some amazing moments. I'm thankful for that.
2: How many how many pastors were there?
0: Oh my. I, Hundreds. I, I, I would say in probably the, in the Navy team that I was with, they were 12 at a time, but there were Army people there. There were Sal- a Salvation Army right. presence. Uh, churches sent chaplains who had been trained in critical incidents. So, yes, there were hundreds. I just didn't, I only met a handful of them because we were all involved in certain parts mm-hmm. of it.
2: We need to take a, a break, Jim. Uh, when we come back, uh, you have a book out, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show, With my special guest, Jim Jenkins, who is a Navy Reserve chaplain for 21 years and a pastor for over 40 years, you're listening to The Terry Saul Show on 104.3 FM, 1220 AM. We are KSLM. Back in a moment.
1: You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM, AM, and FM. Brought to you today by the Lule Group.
2: Welcome back to the terry saul show our guest is uh, jim jenkins he was uh he went to ground zero immediately after it all happened did you ever lose it when you were back there came close um about halfway through my time especially as we
0: started to take family members to see it that was pretty intense and one day i was talking to a lady and I, she didn't speak english and she was trying to tell me something and i was gesturing to her i put my hand over my heart and then i folded my hands and to let her know i'd pray for her so I prayed for her and, and she was comforted by that, I think, and walked away. But I just started feeling wobbly then, like I'm gonna start blubbing and that's not gonna serve anybody. So I got as far away as I could from this giant pier building, huge building. Nobody around me. I sat on the concrete floor, just put my head down, started breathing, saying, okay, get, get a grip here, praying. Did you ever get that feeling somebody's watching you? Absolutely. So I'm thinking, somebody, there's nobody here. So I look up and there's this German shepherd staring at me, came over, walked over slowly, put his head in my lap, looked up at me and let me pet him. And the dam broke. I just had a good cry for about five, 10 minutes. It was so cathartic. It was so healing. So I looked up at the lady and I said, what's, what's the dog's name? And, and she said, she th- I thought she said, Bruno. I said, well, thank you so much. Never even thought to ask her her name. So I started tickling Bruno's ears a little bit, got back into the fray, and finished my time in New York. Two years later, I'm back in Cottage Grove. Uh, a lady from our church, their daughter, was in the pediatric unit at Sacred Heart. And would I go up and see her? Of course. And about that time is when I started having some PTSD kind of symptoms. And so I went there and saw the little girl. She was going to have a good outcome. I felt good about that. Visited with I prayed with her. Come out in the hallway. There's a German Shepherd sitting in the hallway. And I thought, oh, you know, it reminds me of that dog, Bruno. And I don't even know if I said his name, but I think I said Bruno and the dog came over to me. And I looked at the lady and I said, Grand, Grand Zero, were you at? She said, we, we were at, Grand, it was the same dog. Wow, wow. I was so overwhelmed. I still didn't get this lady's name. <laughs> And then I thought, in my head, I'm thinking, I'm going to get online tonight, Bruno and Ground Zero. There's got to be stories about this dog, right? right. Couldn't find anything. And I would never even thought to try to connect with the lady. So all these years went by. 17 years later, right before this pandemic, my sister was dying back in Florida, and I was going to go to be back there with her, and I had Mm -hmm. to get some stuff for the trip. So instead of coming to Salem here, which was much closer I decided to go up to McMinnville, get out in the country, clear my head. Sure. So I go to the store, come out. There's a Starbucks there, and uh, I walked in. There was a lady sitting outside with a, the canopy that they sit under. She had a smaller German Shepherd, and by the way, I knew Bruno would not have still been alive. Right? right. Right. I was gonna say something to her, like I always do. Ever since then, I'm obnoxious with people's pets. I did it in your hallway, coming in here <laughs> with Lucy. I even remember right. her name. So I, I didn't, got my coffee. I came out, I couldn't help myself. I went over and I said, can I say hi to your dog? She let me pet the dog and I started telling her about Ground Zero and the dogs and what they did, how amazing it was. Started telling her about Bruno. She let me go on for about a minute and she said, no, no, you got that wrong. I said, what do you mean I got it wrong? I've never met you. No, that dog's name wasn't Bruno, it's Uno. I said, do you know that dog? She said, I bred my dog with Uno. This is his... Oh, no. Really? This time, I had the horse sense, give me that lady's name and number. (laughs) I did reconnect with her during the pandemic. Her husband had just passed away. Yeah. Her name's Pat Gartman. Guess where she lived? Cottage Grove, Oregon, where I was pastoring. She was there the whole time. Wow. We just did an interview together a couple weeks ago down in Cottage Grove on the radio and told the story of uno
2: that is amazing that is amazing we only have about uh, four and a half minutes left here and i have a couple more things i wanted to get into um you, you briefly touched on it what what are some of the effects that have happened to you since then i mean you're 20 years out now what what do you still what bothers you
0: well my sleep patterns have always been erratic even before then but now i I don't. I just have to be exhausted to fall asleep. I won't sleep. I take some stuff to help me sleep. But and I'm I'm hyper aware sometimes of sounds. Like I'll startle at something nobody else startles at. I uh, I have the voice. You can hear my voice. This is good today. Some days it's really croaky. Um. And and I just the smell of death is a trigger for me. If I I walk past a critter in the woods that's dead, I'll I'll remember all this. And other things I don't remember at all. I I don't remember uh, blocks of time on either end of it, but I remember the time I was there. Wow. Would you go back again if you had to do it all over again? Yeah. Yeah, I would. Because I was thinking... That, you know everybody that serves the lord in any kind of capacity in ministry you 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 really want like people are in the military they they want to be engaged to do what they were trained to do sure and in my instance i'd been given so much and so much grace extended to me in my life i wanted to to do that and if i would do it again i i would i wouldn't be very good at it i'd be old and creaky now but Man. i'd try it
2: you have a book uh from rubble to redemption uh, a ground zero uh, a book about the ground zero well, why did you decide to write a book make sure people remember it that might sound odd but in 20 years
0: people's memories already being uh, extinguished or narratives being placed over that and i wanted to make sure that the facts that i visibly i eyeballed myself to tell the story and the other thing is the, the title rubble to redemption everybody's got rubble people listening to us right now maybe it's a divorce maybe they lost their job maybe they got the diagnosis it's a tumor I can testify to them and tell the truth that I saw the Lord in the biggest debris field in American history rubble everywhere meet people's needs and he'll do it again if people want to get a hold of this book I can't wait to read it tonight um what's the best way to do it it's on Amazon and on Kindle And then I have a website. uh, It's called Jude3fellowship.com.
2: That's J-U-D-E.
0: Yeah, it's a book of the Bible, Jude, verse 3. But it's just Jude3, the number 3, fellowship.com. And uh, I have a blog that I write that will touch on topics with this. And eventually we will have uh, the books available on it, too.
2: Okay. Would you do me a favor? Would you come back? Um, I have about 1,000 more questions I'd like to chat with you about um and i think it's this is interesting I, I can't wait to read this book uh would you come back and uh, let's do this again i'd love to do that okay and if uh, people want to get a hold of you is there a phone number don't give out your personal phone number is there a number they can contact you at or i think that jim at jude three
0: fellowship is it's probably the best way, the, the best way. okay because i don't have another phone number other than my home phone okay. that's probably not the best to do nah, not
2: really all right we have less than a minute left to go is there uh, any final thoughts how, yeah. was, how was the flight home well, the, the final thought,
0: if I can hop on it, is uh, Staten Island Ferry. Yeah. One night I was taking the Staten Island Ferry to try and connect with my family. Guy came up to me that in another situation I would have been afraid of, looked like a gangbanger, <laughs> came up to me and said, You down there, man? I said, Yeah. He said, I'm scared. I said, What's your name? He said, Cleveland. I said, Cleveland, I'm a little scared too. You want to pray? We knelt down on the deck of the Staten Island Ferry and prayed. And when we said amen, there were 20 or 30 people around us in a circle. This is a time like that. People need to get together and pray about what's going on.
2: That's amazing. That's amazing. Have you been back to, to New York since then? No. Will you go back? I think so. Not, not right now and not this anniversary.
0: I right. guarantee you I wouldn't be in New York on this one. But Why? I, I think we're vulnerable. I think so, too. I think we're extremely vulnerable right now.
2: Yeah. All righty,
0: Jim? Thank you, my friend. Thank you. It's really good to meet you, and thank you for having me.
2: We're just about out of time for today's show. Remember, you can catch our show every Saturday at 10 a.m. and a replay Sundays at 6 p.m. right here on Salem's original radio station, KSLM. A reminder, if you missed any of today's show or would like to hear any of my shows, you can always hear a podcast on our official KSLM website at www.kslm.news or on my official website at www.terrysall.com. If you would like to drop me a note, I'd love to hear from you. My email address is terry at
1: kslm.news. We'll see you next time. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 FM and 1220 AM KSLM. Today's show is brought to you by the Luley Group, featuring Luley's Car Connection, Don Luley Homes, and Teresa Luley's State Farm Insurance. That's a wrap. Thanks, everybody. Good show.
2: Bye, everybody.